Welcome to Prima's 2020 podcast series. My name is Shonda Ragland. I am the Director of Education at Prima. On this Prima podcast, Patty Rennick will discuss the complexities of a post-opioid climate. Patty is the Senior Medical Management Consultant at Midwest Employers Casualty, a Berkeley company. We will also be joined by Prima's Education Coordinator, Taekwon Gilbert. Taekwon will moderate the discussion. Enjoy the podcast. Thank you for joining us today, Patty. Well, thank you for having me. First off, other than opioids, do other pain medications have similar long-term side effects? Yes, they do. In fact, many of the medications that we take long-term do have a lot of the similar side effects as opioids. Some other side effects like ibuprofen, naproxen, acetaminophen may have some long-term side effects, but they're not nearly as severe as what opioid replacements would be or opioid replacement therapy. That being said, too much of any medication, including things like acetaminophen, can cause liver damage. Too much ibuprofen or naproxen can cause GI issues. Even though there's less of a chance, any substance in excess can take its toll on the body. Do people become physically ill if they stop taking opioids and are addicted? Well, sometimes. So most people do have some kind of physical withdrawal symptoms if they stop taking a high dose of opioids suddenly. However, it's much easier on the body to wean from opioids and other things such as even alcohol or benzodiazepines, things like Valium and Xanax, as those can cause more serious complications like seizures. Opioids, on the other hand, just cause withdrawal-type physical symptoms, so it's not quite as physically ill as it is just the feelings of discomfort. Can you talk more about how opioids can cause pain? Right. There is a phenomenon known as opioid-induced hyperallergesia. It's a paradoxical response almost, so it's caused when people take in opioids for a very long time, and actually because it causes the body to become hypersensitive, and it heightens the body's response to painful stimuli because it ultimately blocks the body's own endorphins. So this is, happens when you have characteristics such as worsening pain despite an increased dose of opioids. The pain becomes more diffuse and widespread. It's harder to pinpoint or describe. And the opioids themselves actually cause the body to have a higher response to pain. How can we start the process if we have injured workers on these kinds of medications? So the best place to start if you have someone who's on a high dose of opioids would be a pharmacy review, and they can start and look at where are the opioids being prescribed and why they're being prescribed, and they can try and figure out if there are less harmful alternatives, and they can recommend these alternatives to the injured employees, and they can also develop a weaning plan, and so they can start taking both the opioids and any replacement therapies they're saying, things like nerve pain medications like gabapentin and Lyrica muscle relaxants, anti-inflammatories, and they can start to wean these and transition people over to more safer alternatives to develop a long-term treatment plan over time. Can you provide additional information regarding functional restoration? Yeah, so functional restoration, it pretty much is just like it sounds. It's a program to increase the function of an injured employee and their ability to do more things. So the program involves more of a holistic approach than a traditional pain management program. It helps injured employees develop coping skills to deal with the pain while also conditioning their body to increase their function and ability. And they do this all while they're also working on the psychological component of pain, not to say if there's a psych diagnosis related to the claim, but to treat the entire person. And while they're doing all of this, they also wean off the more addictive and the more harmful medications and transition them over to medications that do help control their pain, but at the same time, they try to prevent the long-term side effects of opioid medication. 
So when it comes to the pain cycles and the body's response, pain's a very difficult thing. It can't be seen and measured. You can't diagnose it on an x-ray or MRI. But unfortunately, sometimes it does lead to misdiagnosis and inappropriate treatment. So when you think about pain or think about an injury that an employee occurs at work, you think about first, you know, they try to compensate for the pain. Sometimes you use unnatural or restricted postures. You start to limp. You start to walk in in a different way to avoid that knee pain or the hip pain. And that can really lead to things like muscle spasms, reduced range of motion. And if people don't get things corrected over a long portion of time, that can also lead to actual contractures of muscles and tendons. So once they get to that point in time, then you're looking for pain medication and they attempt to relieve their pain. And then once you had your pain medication for a certain amount of time, the body can develop the tolerance of the medication. So what happens then? You lead to an additional dosage or a higher dose of these medications. And that circles around to your reduce your functional abilities. And unfortunately, when you get to that point in time, there's a much higher incidence for depression and anxiety in chronic pain. So it's this vicious pain cycle that the opioids were introduced for and they're trying to stop. But unfortunately, our body and our body's reaction to opioids is not intended for a long-term response. So opioids work to block pain by they produce a our bodies produce a natural opioid-like chemicals, and the opioids bind those same receptors in our brain, and that diminishes our body's perception of pain. So the opioids trigger our biochemical response that mimics feelings of pleasure. So in the short term, opioids activate the reward centers in our brain and help treat our pain. But if those same opioids are used in the absence of pain, repeated use of those drugs might simply be sought for the pleasure it produces. Then the brain creates a lasting record or a memory associated with taking this pill or this certain medication. And furthermore, the brain compensates for repeated exposure to opioids. And this is where we run into the problem of opioid tolerance. So opioid tolerance occurs because the brain cells become less responsive to the initial opioid stimulation, and that drives the need for increased supply. And so this is where in our cases where we see with these long-term chronic pain that they start to increase the milligrams of the opioids that they're taking. So if it gets to a point where they're tolerant on their opioids and taking a high dose, Consistently, if that use of opioids is stopped, the brain will release enzymes triggering symptoms of withdrawal. And that withdrawal could be anything from nausea and vomiting to stomach cramps, other GI issues. It can also cause a physical cravings of goosebumps and sweating and those kind of things. So prolonged use of those opioids can also have long-lasting changes in the brain once you develop opioid tolerance. So those changes are primarily in the prefrontal cortex, which is important for regulation of judgment, your planning, and other executive functions. And some of the reported changings with opioid tolerance that we see in the brain are reduced ability to use judgment or restrained impulses and the lack of behavioral control. So these are the stories that you hear, what people will do just about anything to get their drugs, even if it's things they weren't normally do to relieve those symptoms that they're having when they're withdrawing from opioids. It was about 10 years ago a study came out that opioids killed more people than all other drugs combined, legal and illegal. And it was even a few years after that the opioid epidemic finally entered the mainstream media. And so now that opioids are finally being addressed, we want to avoid moving from one situation to potentially another bad situation.
So most of the chronic pain cases, when you look at the claim rules of the old 80-20 rule, so 20% of your claims make up 80% of your costs, well, that's the most common claims that I see in my role. I only see the difficult claims. The ones that go well, they never cross my desk, unfortunately. But one of these common themes that we're seeing that I wanted to pass on are when cases have been prescribed high-dose opioids and they end up with a replacement therapy. So by replacement therapy is something to do with like a mixed opioid agonist or antagonist. Some examples of these are buprenorphine, which is a butrans patch, suboxone, which is just um, buprenorphine. There's also synthetic medications like methadone. And here I wanted to talk about the morphine equivalents a little bit. So morphine, a daily morphine equivalent is recommended anywhere from 50 to 120 for the maximum. So morphine has a one-to-one equivalent. So 10 milligrams of morphine is a morphine equivalent of 10. Oxycodone has a 1 to 1.5 equivalent. So 10 milligrams of oxycodone has a morphine equivalent of 15. And equivalent fentanyl has a 1 to 5. So 10 milligrams of fentanyl has a morphine equivalent of 50. So it goes up very quickly. On the other side, some of the replacement therapies they're using are the less potent opioids. Things like tramadol, tramadol, which is a generic form of Altram, 50 milligrams of tramadol has a morphine equivalent of 25. So just 0.5 of a morphine equivalent. Uh, Nucenta, which is available in brand name only right now, and there's also an incentive ER, but Nucenta, 50 milligrams of that has a morphine equivalent of 20. So you're still using the opioids, but a much lower morphine equivalent. People are also using the nerve agents like Neurontin, which generic is Gabapentin, Lyricot has generic of Pregabalin, um, Release and Horizon are extended release forms of Gabapentin, and Lyricot also has a control release form. So these are these um, are being prescribed to control nerve pain in place or sometimes even with an opioid. A lot of times we're seeing compounds and topical medications to try and treat the, the complaints of pain topically. And we're also seeing some combined medications such as non-steroidal anti-inflammatories and extended use medications used long term. Some examples of those are Amrix, which is extended release cyclobenzapine, which is the generic form of Flexeril. Vimovo, which is naproxen and Nexium mixed together in one pill, so you have the anti-inflammatory with the medication that protects your GI tract, the Nexium. The Durexis, which is ibuprofen and Pepsid, so again, another medication that has the anti-inflammatory and also a medication in there to protect your GI tract. Now, the problem with these medications is that they are much more expensive than their alternative when you take those medications apart. For example, naproxen and Nexium are pennies per pill, so ibuprofen and Pepsid or cyclobenzaprine, but the Amrex right now is selling for $40 a pill, the Vimvo is selling for $48 a pill, and the Durexis is $32 a pill. So those are some medications we're seeing that unfortunately cost a lot of money when taken at the same time, and single pills could be only be pennies per pill. And the last thing I wanted to mention here are opioid blockers. These are those medications that are being prescribed to prevent accidental overdose. So Evizio is about $4,000 a dose while Narcan is about $75 a dose. And now Narcan is actually even available in generic naloxetone, which is only $11 a dose. So you can see here that some of the medications do the exact same things, and yet the costs here are very, very different. Some of the more common opioid alternatives and replacements we see are bupenicine. So this is probably the most popular one. These are things like the Butrans patch, which just came out into generic. There's also Subutex which is also in generic, Suboxone, a lot of people have heard of, and that includes Repenafine and also Naloxetone. 
And so the reason that they have these medications is that they still bind with these same receptors, but they have a weaker, what we call a ceiling effect, which lowers the risk of misuse. And it also makes them a lot harder to accidentally overdose on while still providing pain relief. Unfortunately, we deal with some of the same side effects with these medications as the opioids. Both the propenicine and the opioids can cause things like nausea, vomiting, constipation, muscle cramps and aches, the drowsiness and sedation, the respiratory depression, headaches, and even cravings with long-term consequences. Other things that, that we see again are the medications prescribed for nerve pain, your Neurontin and your Lyrica. And long-term, again, these can be difficult on your system. They definitely will cause some um, drowsiness or dizziness. They have a very sedating effect. Neurontin is known for its fluid retention, especially in your legs and feet and arms. Lyrica is known for your weight gain and also constipation. So you definitely have some of the same side effects you have with opioids when you're taking these medications long-term. And the other two, the muscle relaxants and anti-inflammatories, Again, these, these side effects I'm talking about are very minimal when you're dealing with short-term use. It's really the long-term use of these that cause the chronic side effects. And so muscle relaxants can also become addictive on their own, and people can become physically dependent. Also, every muscle relaxant has the warning not to drive or operate machinery, which definitely can interfere with the return to work. Anti-inflammatories, these come in either your pill form or even for gel forms or vent gastrointestinal issues. And these are your Celebrex, your Mobix, your Relifins, uh, Motarin. And the bad part about anti-inflammatories is, of course, they're hard on your GI tract, but long-term use has a cardiac side to it, too. It can cause heart attack or stroke, especially with these COX-2 inhibitors. Um, a lot of people might remember the medication Vioxx, which was an excellent anti-inflammatory until people started reporting major cardiac issues with them. Yes, we had several cases. We've had multiple medications that were medically unstable. I can tell you about one claim we had. It was an 11-year-old claim. They had the same nurse expander for the past 8 of 11 years, uh, a history of three back surgeries, including a fusion, multiple injections, and ended up with a neurogenic bladder and had an inner stem implanted. However, they were a trooper. They continued to work 29 hours a week, despite being prescribed two different opioids, a muscle relaxant, and nerve pain medication, and also a sleeping pill. All at the same time, they were getting epidural steroid injections and SI joint injections, and then due to increased pain, they had an SI joint fusion recommended. So the TPA involved in the claim did an IME to see if the surgery was really necessary, and we're surprised to find out that even though the surgeon did not recommend the surgery, they also recommended an addictionologist. So we had that reviewed internally by our chief medical officer, and a functional restoration program was recommended. The current nurse case manager really thought that this woman needed the um, SI joint confusion and strongly disagreed with any other kind of program like a functional restoration program. So unfortunately, that case manager had closed her file, and a new case manager was assigned at that point. But the good news was within six weeks after the newly assigned nurse case manager, they had an agreement from the claimant to attend the functional restoration program. And again, this is the holistic program that look at the entire injured employee and try to get their function back. So when this person was admitted to the functional restoration program, their functional score was 48% out of 100. And then by the time they finished the functional restoration program, just a few weeks later, their functional score was up to 90%. They had weaned off most of their medications, and there was no further discussion of surgery or injections. And, in fact, we were able to actually settle this file. The person was feeling so much better 
after all those years of pain and been able to return to work even even with increased hours. So I do think she had some work restrictions at this one time. Then we had another gentleman that was a 16-year-old claim, and they had a reopening of a wound on an ankle. And this, unfortunately, was a case with RSV, or complex regional pain syndrome. And over time of having this ankle injury with this open wound, the shoulder and the wrist had got pulled into the claim due to use of the walker. And then to complicate matters further, this happened to be a Texas claim, so you cannot close medical there, and so therefore we have treatment for life to claim. There's no settlement. After all the treatment and surgeries on the ankle, the right leg ended up an inch and a half shorter than the left leg. So this is a real injury with a lot of complications that were not getting any better over a long period of time. The cost driver was definitely the heavy opioids they were using. They also used compound pain cream. They also used a compound cream and the wound care that was occurring. So nurse case manager there near her home was able to find a center of excellence to not only address the opioids and her function, but also assist in the wound healing. The good news is this medical director at the facility gave regular guidance to the treating physician. So when she returned after her treatment there, that her treatment would remain the same. She was weaned off her fentanyl patches, off the compound cream, off her Valium, and her muscle relaxant. And miracles of miracles, once they got all the medications discharged, the wound on the ankle healed. So the run rate prior to admission to the Center of Excellence was $53,283. And then once they were released from the um, Center of Excellence, that same run rate went down to $11,670. Just still a lot of money, but certainly better than um, over $50,000 a year for um, many years to come. So the point on these kind of cases here is that opioid replacement therapies have similar long-term consequences to opioids. And sometimes we look at multiple options to find out if a similar medication at a lower cost can help or even weaning them off medications to have them increase their functional and their ability to get better and kind of get their life back. We have reached the end of our podcast. Thanks to our speaker and all of our listeners. Please visit the Prima website to hear other Prima podcasts, view upcoming Prima webinars, read Prima blogs, and learn about other Prima educational resources. Be sure to check us out on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and our very own Prima Talk. Have an amazing day.